Lifestyle choices and environmental factors impact your brain health and the physiology and psychology of your mental health. When you're ready to turn your brain on to get your game on, listen to In Your Head Radio. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. Joining me today, I've got a really uplifting show today. I've got Dr. Haley Perlis, and she knows what it takes to overcome barriers and achieve peak performance. As an elite alpine ski racer, she competed and trained with the best in the world, pushing herself to the limits time and time again. Now, with a PhD in sports psychology, Haley continues to push boundaries and drive peak performance, helping athletes and Fortune 100 executives reach their goals. Haley also works with individuals and teams to help them increase their resilience, focus, and drive. Haley, thanks for being with us today. Happy to be here, Lee. Thanks for having me. I could have gone on and on, you know, because you've done, you've accomplished so much. You're a highly sought-after keynote speaker, professor, author, and consultant to Vision One athletes. You've spoken at many events, uh, Elite Fitness, Performance Summit. In addition to that, you're an adjunct professor at the University of Colorado, lecturing on applied sport and exercise psychology at the graduate level. And you've written some books, The Ultimate Achievement Journal, The Inside Drive, and articles that have been published in different publications. Uh, Dr. Perlis earned her PhD at the University of Northern Colorado with an emphasis on social psychology of sport and physical activity. She has an MS from the University of Florida and her bachelor's from the University of Western Ontario. Haley is very active. Uh, She loves both water and snow skiing and hiking. And I love this. Her favorite meal is anything that requires only chopping or blending. My favorite <laughs> meal is anything that requires me not cooking. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, that's basically what that is, right? You have a smoothie, you make soups and blenders. I can heat things up, but <laughs> I'm pretty plain Jane when it comes to cooking. Well, I excel at heating things up. So <laughs> we're, we're on the same the same path there. Well, thanks for being with us today because, you know, I think at the Brain Performance Center, everybody that we work with, whether they come in from they're depressed or they're anxious or ADHD is impacting how they function in life or or autism is getting in the way. It's uh, We try so hard to help them be the best they can be. And to me... That's what peak performance is all about. What is peak performance all about for you? Exactly that. It's making sure that we're prepared. It's making sure that it's not just about hoping for the best, but also understanding that things can go wrong and and knowing, you know, we can't know everything that's going to go wrong, but we can anticipate and we can prepare for that. So that no matter the environment, no matter the conditions, you are going to be the best that you can be. You're going to give every ounce of effort you have that day. And you might not even have 100% to give that day, but if you only have 70%, how can we create an environment, inner and outer, that you can give 100% of that 70? Well, Haley, I have to ask you, I mean, did you ever show up and just hope that you'd get lucky with a really good performance? (laughs) You know, that's a really interesting question. I was, growing up, I was the talented athlete. I just, I had the natural ability. 
And then when you get to a certain age, talent only takes you so far. And I believe that there was a lesson probably when I was 14, 15 years old. Not that I hoped, but I just thought that I could rely on my talent. And then you quickly realize that, no, it takes hard work. It takes work ethic. And everyone else was kind of catching up to me. So I had to drop the, the hope or reliance on just my talent and really understand that there is work to be done here. Absolutely. And, you know, when you talk about talent, uh, in the last two years, I've learned how I'm trying to learn how to play golf. And when you talk about talent, I think about Tiger Woods. I mean, he has he amazes me. He continues to come back to be the best he can can be, considering what life has thrown his way. What do you think makes him so good? Is it his mental toughness? I do. I do think, you know, there's so many athletes in various sports that we can look at them and say, well, they have the talent. They, their body is built for their sport. They grew up in their sport. They have the athletic, you know, again, talent, but not everyone does it with talent. And I'm sure there are many people like Tiger Woods who had the same talent as him, but they didn't have the same mindset. They didn't have the same work ethic. They didn't have the same ambitions and tensions. And that is all um, required for you to be at the top and to stay consistently at the top. Well, and, you know, when you talk about mindset, because I talk about that a lot when I'm talking with people that are trying to get in the right mindset. But for for people with anxiety and depression, I find that it's they got all this negative self-talk going in their brain. I can't. I can't. Um, I mean, and all this negative energy. And I tell him, you got to catch those ants, those automatic negative thoughts. They go through your head so fast and furious. You don't even know they were there. It's just all of a sudden you're angry or you're sad or you're feeling overwhelmed. And I'm sure as a professional athlete, those little ants will race through your head too. I don't think anybody's immune from that. No, absolutely. It takes a lot. It it takes a lot to overcome those negative thoughts. So the first thing that we have to learn is that you can't just tell them to go away. Go away, negative thought. Don't think about this. You can do that. Unfortunately, those negative thoughts, like you said, we don't even, we don't even really think about them, even though they're our thoughts, but they're habitual. They're, they are our habitual dominant thoughts and they have the potential to debilitate us. And it is hard work certainly not impossible, but it is hard work. And we, and we have to, we have to respect those negative thoughts so that we can go and conquer them. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you work with a lot of professional athletes and, and with that comes perfection and with perfection comes all or nothing thinking and, you know, yes, no, black or white. And while I can see how that plays in, to the, the competition, I can also see how it has a negative impact on performance. It can. Every, in, in my humble opinion, I don't think that there is anyone in this world, whatever industry that you're in, sport, business, health, family, where we all just really think that it's just going to always completely go our way and we can do absolutely anything. I believe that every one of us has some doubt here and there, even the top, even the best of the best. But it's our skill set, it's our ability to look at those doubts, 
kind of prove them to be, you know, irrational or if they are valid, looking at how we can, again, overcome them, that we can move forward. It's really important to not just try to dismiss them or pretend that they don't exist. We have to really do some work around it. And in addition, um, look for the things that we know we're good at. Look for our strengths and use our strengths actively, consciously, because the more you consciously focus on what we're good at, the more we focus on, you know, how we can improve, those thoughts will then override the negativity. The optimistic thoughts will become our more habitual thinking and our negative thoughts will not, they won't be in the driver's seat, if that makes sense, but kind of go to the back seat. Well, it makes a lot of sense because you're right. Everybody has them. And I, I mean, I have to fess up. I used to have the worst case of the shoulds. Oh, my gosh, Lee, you should do this. Lee, you must do this. And then, of course, they had these two little friends that they would bring out. Shame and blame. Well, Lee, you didn't do that. No wonder this didn't happen. It's all your fault. And I decided, you know, I got to get rid of those shoulds. Those babies got to go. So I replaced those shoulds with the coulds. And I would say, okay, Lee, you could do this. Well, if you did do this, what would happen? Well, this would, okay, I like that. This would, I don't know about that. Well, this, how about this? Oh, I like that too. Two out of three, I'll do it. So it's, it's, you're right. You can't just close your eyes and hold your breath and, and hope that they'll go away because they won't. But I found personally when I embraced them, when I said, okay, how am I going to change that? You know? How am I going to not let that manage me? Because nothing's worse than shame and blame. That gets old real quick. And they're heavy. They're just so heavy. They make us, they add so much weight, and it's it's really hard to, to move forward. And I love the fact that you use the word should. You know, when we talk about the difference between anxiety and nervousness, they're different. Anxiety, in my in my opinion, that's where we fear feel that anger, frustration, worry, fear, uh, and that has that negative emotional, physiological, and behavioral response. Nervousness is when we feel challenged, but we're also excited. And that word should, I should be this, I should do this, creates unnecessary anxiety. But when you really think about what you want and you attach your strengths to focus on how you can get what you want, you still might be nervous. It's still going to be a challenge, but there's passion behind it. There's excitement there behind it, and there's confidence and control behind that. And that's what we need to focus on. And when you can get that, when you feel in control, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel I can, I can do anything. When I feel in control, now do I always do everything? Maybe not always, but I, when I'm in control, I feel like I can. And I would think for you know, people that are high performance and, and want that peak experience, that that's something they're looking for. 100% something. Now, we can't control everything, and I think it would be unrealistic to think that we can, but we, but the best performers out there, the people that are, in my opinion, they're healthiest, well, well and happiest, they don't look at the world and focus on the things they can't control. They look at the world and they focus on the things they can And then what that brings is the second C word that I think is mandatory confidence. So perceived control and perceived confidence is my entire intention or objective when I'm working with anyone. Let's bring about those two things. 
Well, and you make such a good point because, you know, I've got two graduate's degrees. I'm finishing a PhD. I've done a lot of classes and never have I taken a class on confidence or self-esteem because that has to come from within and it's got to be built by, from your life experiences. And that's something that people, I can't tell you how many times I get asked the question, so Lee, tell me, what part of the brain does motivation come from? Because if you could crank that up for me, <laughs> that would be yeah. great. And, you know, it's not a part of the brain. It, I tell them it's a whole brain function because it takes focus it takes desire. It takes a strategy. It takes a lot more than just waking up and saying, I'm going to really feel motivated and I'm going to knock that out. But how many days did you, waking up as an athlete, do you have that choice? Right. Yeah, no, that, you know, I think what you're referring to is I think willpower, right? Everyone wants, wants to rely on just willpower. And willpower is okay for the first, you know, week, month, depending on the person, but it does not sustain our positive behavior. There, there is something underneath that motivation. And the thing about motivation, and as an athlete, you know, ski racing, downhill alpine racing was my, was my sport. Those are early mornings. Those are cold days. That's a lot of travel. And you have to wake up, and despite all the things you don't like about your sport, you have to show up even though you don't want to. That's motivation. You have to exert every ounce of effort you have in that moment. That's motivation. And it's, it's not when it's easy. It's easy to be motivated when it's easy. <laughs> it's harder when it's difficult. Well, you know, and that makes me think about resilience. Because when everything's going my way and everything is really good, my resilience is so high. But when everything's not going my way and I feel like that you know, I just can't seem to get it going. My resilience goes downhill. Do you see the commonality between resilience and motivation? I do. I do. I think I believe the people who are the most resilient, they have sustained motivation. And again, resilience isn't about showing up when everything's going to go your way. Resilience is once you fall down to how you get back up, how you can be the best recoverer. And if we do talk about sports for a moment, coaches will, will say that the best athletes, the athletes that stand on top of the podium at the end of the competition, not the perfect athlete. It's the athlete that best recovered. It's the most resilient athlete. And the, in my opinion, the person who is most resilient is off, often has the most sustainable motivation. It doesn't come and go. It's there always, no matter how good things are, no matter how tough things are. What does that tie into belief, belief in yourself and your belief in your abilities? Yes. So there is unconditional confidence and then there's conditional confidence. Conditional confidence, again, is the confidence that comes and go with the results. If you had a good performing day, if you had a good day, you followed through on your exercise, you ate well, then you have confidence. And if you didn't, then you don't have confidence. That's conditional that is not what I want to help people to build. I want to help people build unconditional. No matter the situation, no, no matter the environment, no matter the results, because not everything about the results is within our control, we still go to sleep knowing that we have some skill set, that we do have strengths. We're focused on our confidence. And also confidence is also the belief that we can improve. Confidence is not just thinking that we're amazing. 
it's confidence in our ability to improve when there are areas to improve upon. That is a really good point because those that I, uh, in my opinion, those that seek that highest performance level, there's always room for improvement. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah, I, what you thought though, was perfect now long no longer is perfect. Now we got you know what's next? What's next? What's next? Well, and even on people that aren't high, you know, aren't striving for high performance, I'm striving to learn how to play golf. And I've noticed that each week I'm doing a lesson, and each week my expectations change because I'm getting a little bit better. For the most part, I'm getting a little bit better each week. And I can see where, you know, every, every week I leave and I'm like, okay, now I'm sure if I practiced a little bit, (laughs) that would help a lot too. But okay, this is, you know, it's, I visualize myself when I'm not there, I'll close my eyes and I'll visualize myself. And I'll think about what it feels like on those few times, you know, when you hit that ball and it feels really good and you hear that sound, I'll focus on that as much as what Brian has told me, probably the same thing, 10 times during that lesson. So do you use visualization in your coaching? Oh, 100%. And there's so many different types of visualization. So what you were describing was, you know, the success of it. So performance visualization, you're visualizing the feeling, you're visualizing that ball going where you want it to. But we we also want to visualize that resilience piece. We want to visualize ourselves recovering. You know, golf is a perfect example. How many shots do we take, especially if we're learning probably over 100 swings in a golf game? Um, And if you're obviously more seasoned, you know, know, maybe you're breaking 100 or, or even greater than that, depending on what your handicap is. But there are a lot of shots. And sometimes they're not going to go where we want them to go. So we can actually visualize ourselves recovering. Visualize ourselves, you know, Swinging, not going where we want, but not seeing ourselves being frustrated, focusing on, you know, what we need to do to get back up. So we can visualize resilience. Can I also visualize, which I love, symbolic imagery? Symbolic imagery, I was actually speaking to my boyfriend's uh, nephew. So he's eight years old, and he's starting out to play lacrosse. And his father came up to me a couple weeks ago with, with the two of them came up and said, you know, how can we get Griffin to run faster? How can we get G to, to run faster? And I just looked at G and I said, you know, are you running like a giraffe or are you running like a cheetah? Not a giraffe, sorry, a kangaroo. <laughs> I don't know why I said giraffe. Kangaroo, like are you, are you running up and down, hopping, or are you running like a cheetah, sprinting across? And when he now has cheetah in his mindset, he's now going to run faster because he's going to be going forward instead of hopping up and down. But the symbolism in his visualization will help him to improve his performance. I love that because when I visualize a a cheetah sleek and lean and moving with such grace, and that's that's motivating to me. Yeah. So we can use all those types of um, symbols, symbolic imagery. If we're really nervous, this is a great one. We're really feeling anxiety. A lot of people will have, you know, that experience, Lee, of butterflies in your stomach? Oh, yeah. So those butterflies, when we're feeling anxious, if when you ask people to describe those butterflies, it's just a bunch of butterflies flying all over, out of control, in your body, ruling you. So symbolic imagery is, 
you know, taking control of those butterflies. Instead of them flying wherever they want to go, you command them to get into a position of an inverted V, kind of like birds flying above us. Birds fly above us in a V formation because it's fast and it's efficient. So if you close your eyes and you visualize and you visualize all these butterflies going all over the place, you can't control them. You're anxious, but then you take that control and you bring them into a V formation. Now they're there to create energy for you. Now they're there to be efficient for you. So just through symbolic imagery, we've been now been able to use the energy that was being used for anxiety. And now we're going to use that energy for good, for excitement, for challenge, for passion, for purpose, for performance. I love that. Being able to, to, you know, channel that in such a positive way. And typically what I see people with anxiety, they do have a, a lot of times they have that nervous energy and people with depression have more fatigue. They're, you know, it's that fight, flight or freeze that the autonomic nervous system takes us through. And when they get in that freeze state where they just want to lay on the floor, throw a blanket over me if you have one, and just in that fetal position, that's a hard spot to bring folks out of. What advice or what imagery would you offer for those folks? Yeah, there's there's two different types. So we work, even though, you know, my area of expertise is the neck up, Often, actually, we do body-to-mind techniques where you, you know, if it's really hard to wrap your head around things, really hard to change your emotional state or to change your thinking, even just some slight little movements. So you get your body a little bit energized, which then can have an impact directly on your mind and your emotions. So even though, you know, all you want to do is sit on the couch. If there is some type of routine, you know, 4.30 might be the time, 8 o'clock p.m., you know, if, there, if you just you know that there's a certain time in the day that is most depressing for you, just before, half an hour, 15 minutes, get yourself outside, put on a hat and gloves if it's cold, but you need the fresh air, and just go for a walk or just, you know, roll your shoulders, roll your neck, have some arm swings, some arm swings. Getting the blood circulated through your body will give your body energy. And then that energy that you create in your body can impact the energy in your mind and your emotions. So if we can move our body, we can then help our mind. However, like you asked, sometimes we can go straight to the mind and use the mind to energize our body. And that would be visualizing you know, and, and it's really hard for people who are in the moment feeling that um, depression. So I'd almost have a script written out so that you don't have to, you know, be creative and think. It's right there for you. Have a journal, open up that journal, have a script already there of you as your best self, of one of the strengths that you already know you possess. And you just read it. You don't have to think about it. It's already written on that piece of paper. Just read it out loud. And visualize that script, visualize yourself being able to just go out for a walk, being able to go out and breathe that fresh air. You visualize it first, even though, and reading it out loud, that mind, that mental energy may create certain emotions that may influence your body to be physically able to go out and move. Well, that's positive psychology. And you know, it amazes me that research has shown every day we have three times as many positive events as we do negative. But what does the brain hold on to? 
it holds on to that one negative. And that's just the way the brain's wiring and firing. I mean, it's the same brain that we had back in the caveman days when you walked out and it was, and it was eat or be eaten. And that brain was scanning for danger. Well, two thirds of the cells in the right hemisphere still do that today. So we're, we're, just it's the way the brain wires and fires that it holds on to that negative and being able to apply that positive psychology is the only way that you're going to be able to change that. And even if it's as simple as gratitude, I love to start my day with gratitude. You know, what am I grateful for? And I'd actually, gratitude is amazing. And right. It's not new. This has been gratitude. has been around forever, but in our darkest moments, we often take ourselves off the gratitude list. So what I like to do is encourage everyone, of course, I want you to be grateful for the things in your life and for the people you have in your life, but I also, also want you to be grateful for yourself. And I love these two questions. If you can ask yourself at least once a day, what did I achieve today? Right? So you just write down, what did you do? And I'm not necessarily talking about results. It can be process-oriented, but what did you do? And then the second question is, what do you get to do next? Most often, when we're not feeling our best self, it's what we have to do next. What email do we have to respond to? Who do we have to talk to? What do we have to prep for dinner? What do, all these have to, have to, have to, or should do. It's like you said at the beginning, Lee. What do I get to do next? How do I get to be challenged? What do I get to learn? Who do I get to support? Who gets to support me if, you know, all these get-tos will allow you to spark a little bit of that positive psychology, some of those positive emotions? What did I, what did I achieve today and what do I get to do next? Those two questions is really gratitude for you and your life. Those are great questions. We've got a couple of minutes before we go to break. But when I when you I hear you say the words get to, immediately my brain thinks, ooh, opportunity. That's an opportunity. And instead of the haves, what do I have to do today? And when I hear that, I can tell you right now, I don't want to do it. Right. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what it is. I don't want to do it because I have to. So I think that your points on giving, reframing the way you, you have conversations with yourself can can help you move forward. Anything in the last minute that you want to, before we take a break, that you want to leave our listeners with? I would say just this one thing. We want to be proactive. So it's not always about waiting until we're not feeling good to use these tactics. I want you to use them proactively. Get into the habit, set a calendar reminder of gratitude, and then ask yourself frequently throughout the day so that when you do need it, when you aren't feeling your best, they're right there for you. You've already done the training. Now you're ready to use them. And that's what it's all about is having it. You know, I talk a lot about, to people about learning how to breathe and when they when they feel that panic attack coming and they don't practice and they'll come in and I'll say, well, it doesn't work. I mean, and I'm like, well, have you practiced it before? Well, no. And, and to your point, it, it won't work unless you practice. So stay with us. We've got a lot of good stuff we're going to talk about when we come back. We'll be back after these messages.
It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Biceps muscles are a characteristic part of the upper arm, and when they are strengthened, they become defined, hard, and strong. The Latin phrase for biceps muscle means two-headed muscle of the arm. The biceps crosses both the shoulder and elbow joints. Both heads arise on the scapula and join to form a single muscle belly, which is attached to the upper forearm. Because we use biceps muscles a lot in everyday use, they are usually one of the strongest muscles of your arm. Lifting weights and resistance exercises are the best ways to build the muscle, and there are a variety of biceps curls to choose from. You can do dumbbell curls, hammer curls, 21s, preacher curls, concentration curls, barbell curls, incline dumbbell curls, cable curls, and more. Be sure to include bicep curls in some form in your weightlifting routine for chiseled arms. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. probably heard about the Ring Video Doorbell app. It has a motion sensor that alerts your cell phone if someone is on your porch or rings a doorbell. All you have to do is tap your phone and you can see who is at your door and talk to them through a remote mounted camera and speaker. My husband thought this would be a good idea to have for our home. However, I had no idea he had installed it while I was out of town. Imagine how confizzled I felt when I returned home, went to unlock the door, and suddenly heard my husband's voice calling at me from seemingly nowhere. He had installed a camera and speaker high up in a tree next to our front porch. Talk about being surprised and confused. What's another word for being confused? Flabberjubles. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. We're back. Now here's your host, Lee Richardson. So we're back. And before the break, we were talking about how to get yourself in the right mindset and how do you believe in yourself and and feel that you can do what you want to do. And there's different techniques. People have different ideas on how to reframe things. Haley, what can you share with us? Is there a technique that you have found to be particularly helpful with people you've worked with? You know, Leah, great reframing and something that I can share with everyone who's who's listening right now is turning our butts into truth. And I'll share what that means. One of the greatest strategies I I believe helps people pick up on their negativity, pick up on their negative self-talk, is when they catch themselves saying the word but. I want to exercise after work today, but I'm too tired, for example. I want to pursue this, but, and then the excuse or the reason comes after the but. Does that, does that make sense? Are you familiar with those buts? <laughs> oh, I know the buts. I know them well. Yeah. <laughs> we all have big buts. So what we need to do is every time we catch ourselves saying but, we now want to reframe it and really look for the truth. If I use that example of I want to exercise, but I'm too tired, well, let me ask, what have we been doing all day? Most physically, physically. When I do this, when I um, teach this technique, when I'm working with anybody in the corporate world, for example, and the answer is usually sitting all day. I have been sitting in front of my computer, for example. So what is the truth? Are you physically tired? 
No, you're probably actually quite physically well-rested, or you're emotionally and mentally exhausted. And what is the truth about exercise? Exercise is the best way to move your body, but to recover your mind and your emotions. Exactly what you need when you're too tired emotionally and mentally, you need recovery. So one more time, and to kind of bring it back in, in a concise format. I want to exercise, but... I'm too tired. We then reframe that to the truth is I'm quite physically well rested. The truth is I'm emotionally and mentally exhausted. The truth is that exercise is the best for my body's energy and for my mind and my emotions to recover. Look for the truth, the truth, the truth. I appreciate you sharing that because I think everybody's got the butts and I think everybody, you know, when you, when you say it and you describe how easy it is to get rid of those butts, I'm going to do it. I'm absolutely going to apply that in my life. And I love when we give people takeaways that, you know, you don't have to write it down. You don't have to buy a book. It's just, it's so simple and so easy because I have found working with, and I with a lot of people that have the butts and they're exhausted and they stay exhausted. They keep themselves in that hyper aroused state and they either keep, they either anxious or depressed or out of balance and what they, they're burnt out and how that they can prevent that burnout or what do they do when they find themselves burnout? And I would think that you've worked with a lot of burnout Absolutely. Burnout is one of the, you know, resilience and burnout are the, are the big words these days. Resilience, purpose, and burnout. And that's great because now that we're talking about it, we can be aware of it and we can know what to do. And I will tell you that burnout is uh, um, amazing in this respect. There is only one way to treat and or prevent burnout, and that's with recovery. Now, think about that, for example. Example When it comes to nutrition, there, it is a multi-trillion dollar industry. There are so many different theories and thoughts and regimens, and one body does not fit all. So there's so many different strategies, and it can get really confusing. When it comes to burnout, it's clear. There is one prevention strategy, and there is one treatment strategy, and that is recovery. We cannot continue to go and go and go and go and go and think that burnout will go away. The only way to handle our burnout is with recovery. However, it gets even cooler because there's a couple of ways that we can recover. Two ways. One is what most people think of recovery, which is stillness, sleep, you know, complete rest, meditation, deep breathing, the brilliance of boredom just sitting outside and staring out the, into the big world and seeing what happens. But then the other recovery technique is what we call active recovery. Taking yourself out of one task and putting yourself into another task as long, this is the key point, as long as that other task creates calm and peace and reception and, you know, and creates that emotional and mental recovery. But you don't have to just sit there and do nothing. Be still. You can go and participate in something else as long as you're not feeling that stress, you're feeling that recovery. Well, and that kind of touches on the spiritual side for me that when 
I am feeling, I take that time for, I call it me time to just, you know, connect, reconnect with myself and reconnect with the universe around me. And a part of that universe is spiritual. And I, I find that that helps me recover very quickly. So that's, yeah. that's really, really good advice because I think burnout has become almost as common. It's just, everybody's will say I'm burnout. Um, not everybody says I have resilience uh, or I want resilience, but the, they'll be the first to say I'm, I am fried. I am just burnt to a crisp. So thinking about recovery and thinking about, and you, you see some people that have that deer in the headlight look in their eyes. Mm-hmm. They just need, they just need to sit and be still and maybe even close your eyes. And I always talk about grounding, you know, put your feet on the floor. And I like to put my hands on my knees. And that just makes me feel really grounded. Or go outside and take your shoes off and connect with the energy below the, the surface of the earth. That How can things so simple be so effective? Most often they are, Right. I think the hardest thing is because they're so easy, we just, we ignore them. We, we kind of brush them away because it, because it is that easy. And the greatest thing to do is to really focus on these things as little bouts of recovery. This is another misunderstanding that I believe that what I believe we have, we believe that recovery needs to be an hour or longer a whole evening, a whole weekend, a whole vacation, a whole month. You know, I'll recover when I have the time. That is a story that we must, must change right now. It's not about having hours. Sometimes it takes just minutes. But if we recover, if we recover in these pauses, you know, a minute here, five minutes there, ten minutes here, back to a minute next, we won't need the the vacation. We won't get sick the first day of vacation because we're stressing and then we're recovering. We're stressing and recovering. We're treating life no longer as a marathon, but we're treating life now as a series of sprints. We sprint in this task and we stress and then we come back and we have a moment of recovery. We get back in, we get back out, we get back in, we get back out. And that is how recovery needs to be taken place. Well, and I'll tell you what I see people do for recovery that is absolutely, and I'll say it right to them, that is the worst thing that you can do for yourself, is they will pull out their phone, and they will go to, and they think that, okay, I'm just going to take a minute, you know, and check my Facebook, or check my Instagram, and they think that 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 little time, you know, will be recovery, but oftentimes it's not, because, and I'm not a big social media person, I, I, I just don't understand it. Don't understand the draw. But I do know that a lot of people are. And a lot of people feel like they're staying connected. But what I experience in the Brain Performance Center is a lot of people with anxiety, you know, they'll come in and I'll say, well, how's your week going? And, and or, or what's new? And you'll get something like, oh, my gosh, I was on Instagram. And I saw, you know, my friend, she just was on this fabulous vacation. And I never get vacations like that. It turns us into a compare society. And when we're comparing, we've got a winner and a loser. And that, to me, that is not a way to recover. Um, I just think that social media can do as, 
and, and there's some goodness associated with it. There truly is. But there's also some some negativity associated with it. And I would think people that are professional athletes, they have to live in that world. They do, but we teach we teach um, athletes how to properly navigate the social media world. So you mentioned, you know, it keeps people connected. I believe it can. I believe it can people keep people connected. But I also believe that it can make people so disconnected at the same time. And it's not necessarily the platforms, it's how we use the platforms. And so you said, you know, that the competition, the jealousy, well, there's a very different story between going on social media and looking to see what everyone's doing that you're not doing and why they have a better life than you. And then you feel um, worse about yourself. That's one way to look at competition. The other way to look at it is to really explore, wow, what are they doing? And how can I create, get, and how can I use that energy to motivate myself to do something just as exciting so that I am also having, you know, this similar type of world. In sports, we talk about co-opetition, cooperative competition. Now, sports is competitive. I actually love competition when it's healthy. And what we do is we teach athletes to look at their opponents and say, thank you for showing up today. Thank you for showing up today. I want you to do your best. Because if I know you're showing up to do your very best, that's going to motivate me to do my very best and hopefully beat you because it is a competition. But social media can be approached the same way. For those of us who get discouraged by social media, disconnected, we need to change the way we're using the platform. Instead of looking to see how our life isn't as good as others, what others have that we don't in a negative way, we want to look almost to kind of give ourselves exposure and education on what is out there and use that as a motivation to go and make things happen for ourselves. That is a great idea. That truly is. And for our listeners, I hope that, you know, we you stop and you think about that because you're right. You, you If you can get motivated or, to, you know, an old term, if it turns you on to see that type of thing, use it. That's great advice. I use it all the time in yoga. I'm, you know, I'm probably average yoga student. And when I go into a yoga class, whether it's streaming online or in a yoga class, people, you know, I know the yoga instructors and I understand it, you know, to leave your ego at the door and this is just about you. I don't think I'm built that way. I'm competitive in nature, but I go out and do in yoga class and I, you know, I look to my left and to my right and I, and I look to see what I can learn. I look to see, wow, that's a cool pose. That's a cool trick. I want to, I want to learn that. And that's the attitude. Those are the emotions that will fuel us. Those are the emotions that will motivate us. Again, that is a, that is a great idea. I am not, I, I enjoy yoga, but I don't do it enough to really, to become as, as good at it as I would like. But just that idea to walk in there instead of thinking, okay, I hope this Vanessa flow is not going to be 90 miles an hour. Um, but to go in and think, what can I learn? You know, yeah. maybe I maybe I can't do crow. I don't think I'll ever be able to do crow. But <laughs> but I can try. You know, I'll keep and I'll and I will keep trying because one of these days, who knows, crow may happen. Well, the people <laughs> that you were. 
MA, the people that you work with, I mean, do they ever have uh, something that they're trying to overcome? Or, I mean, the name, of, the, the way that I came up with the radio show name in your head is because I often think what holds me back is I can't get out of my head. And do you find that people that are trying to to take their performance to another level, are they stuck in their head? That's why people come to me. Yeah, people don't come to me because everything's going great, right? They're always coming to me because because they're go- they're going through something, and it often, which is why they would see a performance psychology expert, it's often in their head. And so my entire focus is to help people think less, more strategically. I want to quiet down the noise. I want to clear the clutter. So if we can think less, but we need to think less by really focusing on the strategic thoughts that will facilitate, you know, good performance, facilitate a healthy, well, and happy life. So we need to really figure out what those strategic thoughts are. And then we press mute on everything else. Our doubts aren't going to go away. Our fears aren't necessarily going to go away. But we put them in the right priority. We put them in the backseat of the car. And we put our positivity and our optimistic and our strengths and all of the strategic thoughts back in the driver's seat. So give us some examples. Let's talk about strategic. Give us some examples of that. So one of the greatest things that I do with everyone that I work with when they come to me initially is we come up with three words that describe them when they are at their very best. So I'll use myself as an example. For me, when I think about myself at my very best, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, whether I'm working, whether I'm family, whether I'm in my own sport or, or exercise, the three words that I use are bright. It's like I have this big sunshine over my mind, body, and soul. And what the sun gives the earth is what my brightness gives me. I'm curious as opposed to judgmental. I want to learn. I want to understand. I want to ask questions, even though I may not like the answer. And I listen. I truly listen, actively listen to what you're telling me and what my own body is telling me. Bright, curious, and listen. So those are my three best words. Now, do I also want to be empathetic? Do I also want to be motivated and engaged? Yes. But as soon as I start thinking about more than three words, I get confused. So I have these three words that are really a daily representation of my purpose. They're my guiding words. And then when I'm not feeling my best, I look at my three words and I choose one. They're already my strengths, so I know that I can do it. But I choose one to focus on. An example, about a month ago, I didn't have a really great weekend, um, something going on personally, and just didn't have a good sleep. But Monday morning, I had a keynote to a couple of thousand individuals online. And I woke up Monday morning not feeling my best self. And I was, you know, oh, I'm going to speak to, I think, 2,000, 2000 people and all of these negative thoughts. And if I don't stop these negative thoughts, they're going to spiral out of control. So I look at my three best words, bright, curious, listen. Which one can I go and focus on and bring back to my life? And in that moment, I, choose the, I chose the word bright. And I did what you recommended to everyone. I went outside. I put my feet in the grass. I put my face in the sun. And I became bright. And then I used that energy to go and perform. So that's one, to me, that is thinking less, more strategically. I'm strategizing on my three best words and going and owning one of those words to bring with me to my performance. 
That is great advice because the, I, if you told me to think of 10 things, that would overwhelm me. I would think, well, okay, but three, three words is so easy to focus on and to hold. And, you know, when you ask me what those three words are, I'm going to have those. I'm going to think on those. I, I'm not sure. And it's I can see where people wrapping up this Ph.D., you know, I think, well, I need to be my brain needs to be performing well. But is that a strategy or is that just something that I want my, want to do? So that's food for thought for sure. Well, when, when when you talk about having a strategy, that makes me think of resilience because I, I've seen people, typically people will come to the Brain Performance Center and the psychotherapy we do is CBT. It's, it's not, you don't do therapy forever. And the brain work that we do, we do whole head brain neural feedback and brain training and create neuroplasticity and, and neuromodulation. So they'll come and they'll be part of our lives for around three months if they get there on a regular basis, a couple times a week, and then they'll disappear. But the pandemic has changed that. I have seen more people come back than I've, I've been. I opened this practice in 2009 and the pandemic has really, I think, lowered everybody's resilience and it's just made them doubt you know, can I do this? When people come to you, do you have a resilience training approach, that a specific approach that you use? I have three guiding solutions when people come to me with a mental block, which is, you know, what most people will come to me with. And a mental block is really a story, usually negative in nature, but doesn't necessarily have to be. But it's a story that real or imagined, again, that doesn't matter, that has the potential to debilitate them. And that's why people come to me with a story. And so we look at that story and we first see if we can change the situation. So actually nothing to do with your mental, nothing to do with your neuroscience, really more of your environmental. Looking around to see if we can manipulate the situation that will automatically reduce some anxiety or maybe even eliminate it. There was one, not an athlete, an executive who came to me in my practice, and this individual had a lot of anxiety in virtual boardrooms. So during COVID, obviously, we're no longer in person, virtual, and she would go into a boardroom right to present, and she'd be very cluttered and anxious. Well, we looked at her desktop, and her desktop was a mess. When she opens up her computer and looks at her desktop, it's just cluttered with to-dos and files and it created a confused mind and a cluttered mind. So we changed the situation. We cleaned up her desktop so that when she opens up her computer, it's clean. And then she can just walk right into that virtual boardroom with the thought that she had before she opened up her computer, which is what she needs to, you know, the point she needs to get across. So that's an example of her becoming resilient to the boardroom, the virtual boardroom, just by changing her situation, cleaning up her desktop. If we can't do that, the second solution then is cognitive reframing. It's turning those buts into the truth. So people will come to me with their mental blocks and I'll offer a suggestion and they'll say, yes, I want to, but, and then I hear what their but is. And then we look at the truth and that's cognitive reframing. The third solution is what I call accept and act. One person actually a couple of weeks back in a virtual um, presentation, a keynote, asked me 
how can I work through my anger? And my answer in the one minute that I had to give her, because it, it was a keynote of hundreds of people, my answer was you actually have to accept the anger first. A lot of us don't want to deal with it. We don't want to deal with our frustrations and our angers and our worries and our fears. To try to push them aside but we don't have to feel it because we have responsibilities. People are looking at us as leaders. We want to be happy. So we try to just push it aside and carry on. Often, though, we actually first have to accept it. Athletes, in particular, come to me with fear of injury. Well, injury is real in sports. So you can't just dismiss it. We have to accept it. We have to talk about it. When you accept it and talk, it weighs so much. It actually shrinks. And then once it shrinks, you now have room to take action on those three best words that I was talking about earlier. So you accept the emotions, you accept the anxiety, you go into detail, and then with the acceptance piece, you then let it go and you take action on your three best words. That's great advice because acceptance is very hard. You know, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. And personally, I've got some strategies for myself. And we've got about three minutes left. How, if people want to learn more about you or if they want to reach out to you, how do they, how do they find you? Surely. Thank you for asking that. And just like you, I am not huge on social media, but you can definitely find me on LinkedIn. I also have a YouTube channel, but the best way, honestly, is just through my website, Dr. Just Dr. Haley Perlis dot com. That's H A L E Y P E R L U S dot com. You can connect with me right there. Send me a, a comment or a contact. I will get them myself. I will respond, and you can keep up with my weekly videos and everything else. Oh, weekly videos. That's that's very cool. So that's something that listeners, that's something to look at because I have to tell you, I took a peek at her website and there's a picture of her on doing some, what I call yoga headstand, but that headstand's not on the floor. It's on something that moves. So you guys and ladies should check it out. It's really impressive. Um, (laughs) So, and I think you also have blogs on your, on your website. Sure, yes, but those videos are what I call mental toughness moments, so they're just two to three minute videos. Sometimes I'll do them sitting, sometimes you'll catch me while I'm on the bike if I have my own, you know, thought that I want to share, I'll just video myself while I'm riding my bike and then and then upload them. So there's just, you know, weekly, weekly videos and, and people share with me that, you know, the content, but sometimes just seeing my face or hearing my voice just reminds them of, of this content and reminds them of their goals and, and offers a little bit of some, you know, uh, motivation. That's great, Haley. Thank you so much again for being with us. And when I think about what my takeaway is from the show, and it's that I'm going to figure out what my three words are, because I think that would be such a an easy way for me to stop myself and catch myself and get back on track. And I think I'm sure that that everybody's got a takeaway from the show. And I encourage everybody to really stop and think about it. Check out the website and believe in yourself. Believe in yourself that you can do it. Again, thank you for being with me, Haley. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Lee.
Richardson and the Brain Performance Center, we want to thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more episodes like this, visit us on iTunes, Google Play, TogiNet, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and thebrainperformancecenter.com. Thank you.